This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi and Happy New Year. I'm Hanif Baharudin. You're tuned in to GG World Played BFM's video game show. Before we move on to created things in 2024, let's look back one last time to 2023 and talk about the year's best releases based on the list compiled by our collaborator kakuchopori.com and our regular contributor from there, Jonathan Liu. But before that, let's start the year right with some updates in the gaming world. Here's Daryl Ong with the news. Alright, we're going to kick off with an extraordinary achievement in Tetris by a young player called Blue Scooty, also known as 13-year-old Willis Gibson, who accomplished a remarkable feat by reaching a point in the classic Tetris that actually crashes the game, a true kill screen. Blue Scooty shattered three world records during this extraordinary feat. Uh, it might come as a surprise that the 34-year-old game hasn't been conquered before, but Tetris on the NES was once deemed unbeatable. Players struggled until the 29th level where pieces fell at such an incredible speed that winning seemed impossible. Only AI had previously managed to surpass this challenge until Blue Scooty's achievement. The winning strategy was a fusion of techniques that younger players have been refining, innovations such as hyper-tapping and rolling developed in recent years, allowing players to manipulate the NES controller even faster by tapping its underside. His achievement set some incredible records, completing the game in approximately 38 minutes and setting a high bar for future contenders. In a post-game interview with Stream ITZ Sharky, Blue Scooty described the nerves experience after playing for 30 minutes but mentioned that he was still managing to hit the five taps. He added, you miss one five tap and the end can run. Well, congrats to him. The run has made Tetris history, showing the incredible skill and nerve-wracking precision required to achieve such a monumental feat. Alright, moving on. Have you ever thought of spending more on virtual spaceships than most folks make in a year? Well, Star Citizen, the game with a never-ending development by Cloud Imperium Games, has now truly outdone itself with a wild bundle costing a whopping $48,000. The Legatus 2953 bundle allows players to own every single ship from the game, 175 in total. However, there is a huge caveat. This bundle is only available for players who have spent over a thousand US dollars in the game. Star Citizen fans passionately defended the game's pricey DLC and lengthy development. The others though chuckle at the 30,000 US dollars spent on digital ships. This new package tops it all, offering a bundle that seems outrageous as it is excessive. The community's reaction? Mainly amusement. Somewhere the space peasant badge proudly hinting at a huge price gap among players. If you're willing to drop 48,000 US dollars on make-believe spaceships, hey, it's your galaxy. But we know being a Star Citizen fan is definitely not cheap. Alright, last but certainly not least, Jack Black joins the stars at the cast of the upcoming live-action Minecraft movie as reported by Deadline. Alongside Jason Momoa, Emma Myers and Danielle Brooks, Jack Black is set to play Steve, the main character, directed by Jared Hass, known for his movies like Napoleon Dynamite. This isn't Jack Black's first venture into video game adaptations. He portrayed Bowser in the recent Super Mario Bros. movie and voiced Claptrack in the upcoming Borderlands film. Fans anticipate his lively performance, particularly after his standout role in Super Mario. Filming for the Minecraft movie, initially planned in August last year but postponed due to strikes, is set to begin soon, aiming for a April 4th, 2025 release. 
the movie's production has seen its share of ups and downs over the years, but with Hess at the helm, hopes are high for a successful completion at this time. Right, that's all we have for you for this week's news. Back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Daryl. We're going to talk about KKP's best games of the year 2023 with a slight twist. Kakucho Pore's content director, Jonathan Leo, joins me to explain more about it. Well, see, this is going to be a bit unique right now because we have actually listed our 30 games of 2023. And you can actually check it out on our website on kakuchopere.com. And yes, our criteria for this particular list is, um, yeah, we just... Basically, we all decided collectively as a team to figure out what is the top 30 games. For this particular episode we're doing right now, I'm because of how we change the list here and there and to make things a little different, I'm going to bring up my personal list, which is also reflective of the Kakucho playlist. But I just rearranged everything to basically cater to my personal top 10 line, in that sense, just to make things a bit more interesting per se. How, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be great. Um, um, so in terms of I guess the decision making process, everyone will just chime in and decide um, which game they want to be in the list, right? Uh, yeah, in this top thirty list that we created, yes, which you can check okay. out online for oh. this particular top ten one that we're doing. It's just gonna be my personal view. I mean, because yeah. uh, yes, all our games are all in that top thirty list. But mm. then for this particular top ten after much consideration and also playing a lot of extra games during the month of December, I felt that there are just some games that deserve to be highlighted more compared to others. So, yeah. So, let's get on the top 10. So, before that, let's just bring up some honorable mentions. Mm. So, we have a particular last billing game, la, um, Like a Dragon Gaiden, The Man Who Erased His Name. I managed to find some extra time to play this way after we set the list, la, basically, on the, on the start of December. So after playing this, I do feel that this game deserves a bit of a mention because it takes a developer to use whatever they have created, which is a lot of maps based off Tokyo and Japan, and, you know, make an entirely nice story that actually culminates in the final, I guess, story of Kiryu Kazuma, the main character who has been around in the Yakuza slash like a Dragon series since 2003, 2004 in the PlayStation 2 era. So... It's got great action. I like the fighting styles. I do feel that some of the combat is repetitive. But at the same time, the way it tells the story, all the way to the ending, really gives me gives me a huge feels and whatnot. It's a very emotional ending that will satisfy people who have followed the series from start to finish. Mm. Now, another honorable mention should be Final Fantasy XVI. Great epic game. Can't really call it a pure role-playing game, but it's a great action game with uh, really nice plot beats, nice set pieces, kaiju fights and also the DLC that came out recently like after we created our top 30 list actually did help cement it on the list lah, per se in retrospect hmm. and Pizza Tower is a, an indie platformer game really weird visuals and whatnot really love how everything gels really uniquely for people who like 2D retro games who which kind of reminds them of Wario Land back in the Game Boy Advance games Pizza Tower would be your go-to indie title. Lah. So I'll show you the second story R is what happens when you let a talented bunch of developers create, remake a retro PlayStation RPG with slightly updated graphics and rework the system so that it still feels fun, yet modern for this current generation. Uh, we got two others. Uh, Dead Cells, Return to Castlevania. 
it's basically just three, four extra levels set in the Castlevania universe using the Dead Cells character. But I do feel that it warrants mentioning because it's a very packed DLC. I like the boss fights and I like how they incorporate the Castlevania characters in this Dead Cells universe, which is very well. Plus, the remixes of the old classic songs like Tragic Prince and um, Dracula's Castle is very unique based off the style of Dead Cells music with the UK, with the guitar and lute and everything and the heavy percussions. And yeah, not last but not least, Marvel's Spider-Man 2 almost made the cut in my personal top 10 because um, there are better stories in my top 10 that has better stories and better progression all that. But it's still a good comic book game. Um, I should note that this is on our top 30 in Kachukuchu Praise list on online because... Um, a lot of my, some of my writers do feel that this is the perfect comic book Spider-Man sequel. I do mm-hmm. feel there are some things lacking, but at the same time, you can't go wrong with two Spider-Men with different powers and having Venom playable in a section of the game, which is, I'm not going to say more than that, but I do feel that, yes, Insomniac will have something nice to follow up with if they created a standalone game featuring Venom, like maybe call it Lethal Protector for you know, right? So, <laughs> like in the comic book. Oh, so, I should also mention the instant fast travel tech that Insomniac did for, you know, when you fast travel in Spider-Man 2. It is very awesome. Like, the power of the PlayStation 5 just allows you to just instantly travel from one end of Brooklyn to the other, like, really, really quick. Especially when you zoom into the city, the map, and then the city pops up, and then you're swinging as Spider-Man instantly. It's pretty cool. Mm, all right, fantastic. Okay, so um, yeah, we're just getting started here. Um, and the list already sounds fantastic. Let's proceed to the top ten best game from your perspective, John. Let's start with the ten game. Oh yeah, yeah, the ten game would be Honkai Star Rail. Yes, this is a game that came out in. I want to say April. I know it's the beginning of the few months of 2023, but create basically created a free Persona-style Japanese role-playing game, but in space and featuring some Chinese space kingdoms here and there. But, I mean, disregarding all that, the battle system is fun, is fast, very easy to get into. The characters, stories and whatnot are very, very interesting from following uh, March and Dan Heng and a couple of others. The whole conflict and kingdoms, um, Balabog and all the different space planets and everything, all, all very interesting. And even when the game is out, I mean, it is a free-to-play game, so updates are always constant every month or so. The updates are very, very substantial. There's no filler, per se. I mean, there are pauses, but there are no fillers in this sci-fi RPG. Mm. And I do feel that uh, Hoyovers kind of nailed the whole aspect of how do you say, um, flow and structure. Like, everything you do from the quest or all that are done in a couple of hours. You can wrap up a story thing like just within a day and without any filler or padding. I mean, yes, there you still have to grind because it's a free-to-play game, especially when you want to level up characters. But again, I do feel that the fun battle system and the updates and all the many activities like the museum side game and all the other even the, there's even a Pokemon side game as well like style you know you gotta collect beasts and you gotta make them fight in an arena that's all very very interesting and just makes Honkai Star Rail a very busy game and one that you don't actually have to pay money for unless you like a particular character who's 5 star then I can't help you lah <laughs> <laughs> 
弱すぎるよ剣は飛燕のごとしぬっとしはっ選別開始逃がさない Hmm, how intrusive is the gacha aspect of the game? Um, gacha aspect is actually about the same as、uh, Genshin Impact, where basically they introduce new characters every month or every two months, and it's really up to you whether you are into the banners or not. Like, some characters might reappear, the rare characters, and for those who are complaining about the game being game breaking, not quite, because your base characters from March to Dunhang and a couple of others you get early in the game. They're enough to get you through most of the content on, like, the I guess the medium difficulty, like the equilibrium level. So, here's a pro tip try not to increase your equilibrium level too high because the game can get tougher and tougher if you decide to increase your character's equilibrium and whatnot.、Mm -hmm. So, once you keep that in mind, the game becomes like an easy, manageable. Game to go through, especially with the boss fights that can get tough. But if you think a little bit and use the correct party setup, you'll be fine to get through the boss fights.、Mm. I know this is, I mean, we're talking about it retrospectively, but do you think that this game will continue to be supported come 2024 as well? Yes. It will be, definitely. This is、mm. basically Hoyo versus other moneymaker apart from Getchin Impact.、Mm. I do feel that Getchin Impact might be wrapped up in the next two years. Because there are only like two continents left for the traveler to explore, the main character. For Honkai Star Rail, I'm guessing another three, four years.、Mm. I'm, I'm sure there are different, many different planets for the main character, the Trailblazer, to explore and find out about his or her past. So there's a lot of sci fi intrigue and, you know, fun. There's even like little fun side quests, like, you know, digging through trash to get like an extra quest and whatnot. So there's a lot of interesting. And, I guess you could say there's some sense of humor in、uh, Hoyo vs. Honkai Star Rail. It's a game that doesn't take itself too seriously, despite some epic moments. That was Jonathan Leo from kakuchobre.com going through his personal list of best games of 2023. We're going to make way for some messages. More after this. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to GG Well Played with me, Hanif Baharudin. We're counting down KKP and Jonathan Leo's best games of the year 2023. It's a top 10 list with the 10th game being Honkai Star Rail, which he has shared earlier. Let's move on to the ninth game on his list, which is Diablo 4. Diablo 4 is the ninth game on my list. I do believe that even though the game kind of faltered on the first season, the second season did really well in making the game feel like it was a beta, but a few months later, which means better loot drops, faster times to level up, and a lot more end game progression and challenges. Diablo 4 at launch was fine. It, was a, it had a pretty good story when you're playing through it and everything. I like the whole dynamic with the Horadrim and Lilith, whether the main character on the cover of the game is doing a good thing or not. And with the whole heaven and hell thing going on, that was a pretty epic way to tell the story that's been told time and again. I do feel that, yes, the endgame progression for the past few months since launch has been a bit 
iffy. But they fixed that with Season 2 and hopefully they can keep the momentum with Season 3 onwards. So Diablo 4, I do like the classes and everything from the Druid. I play Druid, I play the Thief, uh, sorry, the Rogue a lot because of the fast attacks they have. And for the Druid, I believe I just like changing into a Werewolf and kill things really quick with the Shred build. There are so many nice builds to use and even the underpowered ones like Barbarian, they are getting a lot of love from different updates here and there. So the team at Blizzard are keeping the game healthy. I do feel that, yes, the game is meaty enough right now as long as they keep the Season 2's momentum going on and introduce new mechanics to make leveling up for a new Season character as fast and as, as efficient as possible. So yes, there is some longevity with Diablo 4. I'm just glad that at least the team are stepping out of the the hurdle they had in the first few months since its June launch. Mm, fantastic. Okay, sounds like, um, yeah, Diablo 4 is going to be the next Diablo that people are going to spend hours on, right? Yeah, until Path of Exile 2 comes out, which is probably the next two years. So mm-hmm. Blizzard has a lot of catching up. They have a lot of like homework to do and making sure that the expansion that they announced, I believe it's called Vessel of Hatred, comes mm-hmm. out being better than any action RPG out there. So here, here's the thing. I mean, I do play Diablo 3 during the Diablo 4 LAL period, but only because Diablo 3 had 10 years to get worked on with the expansion and everything. It came out since 2012 and 2014. So Diablo 4 is not even a year, honestly. I mean, because it came out in June. So you have to give Diablo 4 probably another three, three to four years to basically be better than Diablo 3. You, don't, mm. you can't expect these things at launch, but hopefully in the next few years we can criticize it and judge it on its own merit. Lah. All right. Okay, fantastic. Let's move on to the eighth game on your list. Well, the eighth game is... I'm not sure if you can call it cheating, but I do feel that, yes, this is a significant upgrade to an existing 2020 game. I'm talking about Cyberpunk 2077, Phantom Liberty. I wasn't expecting much when I downloaded it and bought the DLC for myself on September. After playing through most of it, I think my entire month was gone after playing through the game because there, I think they added in like 20, 30 hours or I think I guess 20 hours of uh, a major plot point where, that you get to explore involving two United States agents. Um, Agent Reed, played by Idris Elba and Songbird, who basically talks to you through voice and then when you meet her, Wow, that meeting is pretty memorable actually in the middle of the expansion. So the expansion itself is very, very meaty per se. You explore a new location called Dogtown in action first-person RPG format. Your skills are reworked thanks to the 2.0 update for Cyberpunk 2077, which basically just makes it an entirely new game when you think about it, which makes you want to actually start over from scratch, which I suggest you should. It's a very stable, more proper, prim and proper title. It's just that the expansion just adds a lot more skills, a lot more weapons, a lot more depth per se. And even from a story perspective, you still get the whole downer kind of like motive of cyberpunk, especially in the new town of Dogtown, which is run by military groups per se. I do feel that, yes, the story here is about like just as epic as the original game. In fact, arguably better because you feel a connection with uh, Agent Reed and Songbird and the other characters you meet as well as like just like any other good um, computer RPG there are multiple endings for this DLC and it's really up to you what you want to choose you can either choose to go uh, 
a route that's actually in a abandoned factory. It has that whole uh, survival horror kind of mechanic going on. Or you can go to the other route where it becomes like a full-on John Wick-style action sequence. I, I played both endings and yeah, uh, they're both uh, equal level uh, per se in terms of payoff, um, narrative and action. Mm. Alright, sounds like three years later, the game is finally delivering on, on what they promised, right? Yeah, yeah. First, it's actually, you know, like Cyberpunk Edge Runners last year, the anime, they actually, you know, gave it the redemption, the revival the franchise needs. And now, this year, we have Phantom Liberty to bring it to full circle, which means developer CD Projekt are done with this game. High high marks all around. This is a very epic expansion pack, lah which basically mm. just improves the core game and create a very memorable story experience that acts as a side thing, as well as if you complete certain tasks in the story, you actually get an extra ending in the base game. Oh, okay. Wow, fantastic. All and right. also Keanu Reeves as Johnny Silverhand is still entertaining. I <laughs> like the part where he basically teaches you how to use a payphone. It's a very <laughs> comedic... There's still some humor line in the game, which is nice. Yep, yep, yep. All right, okay. Your seventh game on the list. Alright, seventh game would be Blasphemous 2. It is a vastly improved Metroidvania sequel to Blasphemous 1. I do feel that Blasphemous 1, as memorable as fun as it, it is, I do feel that the developers, Game Kitchen, are a bit... They, they made some amateurish mistakes in the first game. In part 2, they took what they've learned, all the feedback, and just made a better game. So it's got a really nice map, you got a nice bunch of missions, you've got new weapons with new traversal skills that give you like stuff to explore and unlock different parts of the map as you progress and you've got really intense boss fights I think there's one boss fight I remember where you're fighting on like a thread a literal thread and you and the music is just basically like a clock ticking in the background and when the boss's life is like at uh, one third the clock starts ticking faster and faster so really good atmospheric music I mean the game has also like really nice Spanish guitar music you know playing through like some of the later levels so it's got atmosphere built and it's also very artsy and has a lot of memorable aesthetics like there's a scene where you get to see a giant hand being kissed by confessors a really long big confession booth area with a long red carpet that gets populated by flowers the the deeper you get into the game as you progress through the map the entire map and there's a woman that gives you a health uh, upgrade with a hand outstretched and she changes the more health po- the more health upgrades you get. Lah. So yes, it's very memorable to the eyes when you play this. It's worth buying it. In fact, there's a Steam sale happening. I suggest anyone who likes Metroidvanias to play Blasphemous 2. Mm. Do you need to play the first game to... to... Mm, not really. I mean... If you're fighting the last boss in some parts, yes, it will, you will feel something when you play for, for people who played the prequel. But the, the game actually just gives you a, like cliff notes about what happened in the last game. So you can just jump into part two straight. And it's also out on consoles. So on Xbox Game Pass and PlayStation and Nintendo Switch, not just PC. Mm, all right. So for fans of Metrovena, you can check that out. Um, what about your sixth game on the, your list? Sixth game would be a very weird title called Void Stranger. It is a 2D PC game where it, the graphics are kind of like 8-bit style monochrome. It's uh, You're basically pushing blocks and, you know, making blocks reappear and solving puzzles in different dungeons. About 200 plus, in fact. 
Um, all the puzzles are very, very challenging, but what really makes it worth persevering is to see how the story unfolds and to see, as well as it, it opens up new mechanics after your first playthrough. So the game is created by a developer called System Erasure. They did Zero Ranger, and that shooter itself is very, very unique. So Void Stranger is... Uh, I have to confess, it's actually a tough sell for a lot of people. But personally, I do feel that these are the kind of games that require you to, I guess, explore a bit more, pay attention to your surroundings, and uncover a lot of secrets so you can open up new story elements and endings to flesh out the plot further and further. So what I thought was a five-hour game ended up becoming a 20-hour game and more. <laughs> if you see the reviews for Void Stranger, you see like people playing it for 60, 70 straight hours because... I've only unlocked two of the endings, uh, but other players, actually, there's actually more to the story than what I've unlocked. La. So mm -hmm. I'm still playing this game as you speak. It's I do feel that it's in the, my top six because it just offers something very, very unique and something that is worth talking about and sharing to different people. So if you like those old school games with, you know, like finding yourself kind of mechanics and having the rabbit hole of a story and its puzzles being deeper than they should, I'd suggest Void Stranger. It's still mm -hmm. a hard sell though, but... I believe you, if you endure it, it's actually worth it. Mm. How, long do, how long do you need to take to warm up to it, actually, if you want to play it? I think about five hours or so, just to get mm. to see what's going on. Because when you complete one world, quote-unquote, you basically have to restart the game and then you open up a story segment and you find out what's going on about why the main character is going through the void. And it turns out that you play another character and you find out why he or she is going through the void again. And then you find out it's Bakaitan is actually linked in with the first character and so forth and so forth. Ah, I see. All right. Okay. All right. We're halfway there, John. Uh, what's the fifth game on your list? The fifth game uh, needs no mentioning. Uh, if you have kept in touch with Southeast Asian game development, it's a space for the unbound. My 10 hours to the title is very, very fruitful with this adventure game. Indonesian made, it's got the whole culture vibe thing going on set in rural 90s Indonesia, from the cyber cafes to like the different, the, the verandas and all the different areas here and there. It has a great narrative and a bunch of really nice puzzles involving math and, you know, logic puzzles here and there. And a few mini games here and there that ties into the culture and as well as talks about different deep topics like abuse, depression, and bullying. I don't want to talk too much about spoilers and everything, but I do feel that the game is definitely worth exploring because of its uniqueness and the fact that it's an Indonesian-type kind of setting that makes you want to just check out and find out, do a bit more like Wikipedia research on why this is here and here and why they're using the baksomi kind of stalls and everything and why are people dressed in pinafores in high schools, right? So... Again, it's a unique kind of game, very indie-centric title, nice puzzles, and a great story, and lovely music to boot. Mm, sounds like, yeah, it's something unique that everyone should check out, right? Yes, yes, definitely. All right, let's head to the fourth game on the list. Speaking of music, um, yeah, the fourth game on our list, my list, is um, Hi-Fi Rush. It is a combination of your music music rhythm game and an action gay game like your Devil May Cries or Bayonetta except it's got the whole Saturday morning cartoon vibe and whenever you play in tempo with the music you deal more damage you deal more combos and your score goes up 
and it's probably the only way to play the game efficiently. So rhythm-based action with a really funny story about a guy named Chai who got robot implants and then turns out that he wants to be a musician, he wants to free the robots and the humans from this corporation that he's fighting in different stages here and there with music themes. And yeah, it's just a very, very colorful game. It's a, like it came out in January. Like I was actually surprised that Xbox just announced this, released it, bam, there you go. So again, it's got like new, nice music here and there. You, the rock and the electronica stuff and whatnot. It's um, yeah, really, again, it's got that whole nice, nice colorful vibe and all the characters from Chai to Peppermint to Corsica, they're very, very unique and very uh, entertaining. Basically, you just want to sit through the story the 10 hours on end. And then when you're done with the default difficulty, you want to play it to the harder modes. And then there's even like the new updates for the game also got like a tower mode, which is basically a roguelike. So there's a bit of replayability there. You're my mimosa. Wait for your cue, shark. <clears throat> Give us your Spectra password. You, you ruined Mm, right, yeah. Um, this does remind you a bit of um, Jet Set Radio, but it's slightly different, right? Uh, Jet Set Radio in terms of graphics, but it reminded me more of Beautiful Joe, Devil May Cry uh, 1 and 3. And okay. I guess God Hand to an extent uh, back in the PS2 days because of the vibe and the action and whatnot. It's very, very fast-paced. love the controls. I love the music. I love the character interactions. I think my favorite boss fight is when you're fighting a character and it becomes a negotiation and you just parrying the attacks. That's all you do. You defend. And you gotta basically know your music rhythm combinations and your, you gotta have some good music sense to actually get through the, the that level perfectly. So I do love the challenges here and there. And yeah, I mean, you can even tweak your characters to have like different inputs and different special moves. So there's some customizability going on. Okay, fantastic. Alright, up next on the list... It is Sea of Stars. It is the best tribute to Chrono Trigger that a lot of people have been waiting for while being its own thing. So you control Solstice warriors who are trying to figure out how to deal with the impending darkness and then it goes through a very... I won't lie, the plot is very, very typical. Like, you know who's going to live, you know who's going to die, you know who's going to end up, you know, being on top in the end. But I do feel the 25 hours from the combat to the puzzle solving to the structure of the game and exploring it just feels great like you got fast travel you've got many quality of life improvements so you don't have to do that much backtracking and you can actually go through the game's normal ending or the best ending playthrough that requires you to go through different challenges like extra new game not new game plus lah, more like there are additional things that you, if you want to get like the best ending possible with the best boss fight and yeah I like all the boss fights in the game I like the humour some of the character interactions like the story is predictable but the character interactions and especially one guy named Gar is very very uh, wholesome and very very human per se and I mean the, the, the twist you can see coming a mile away but um, I do feel that yes yeah, so with the character's special moves the environment the graphics the music and the levels especially that since the game is actually a throwback to this other game they made the developer made called The Messenger and I do like the music, how it entails, and the graphics and the landscape and whatnot. It's a it's a lovely world to be in, lah. Let's just say. All right, sounds fantastic, and it's definitely um, 
a bit of a sleeper hit as well, right? If I'm not mistaken. It is a sleeper hit per se. Yes. Um, a lot of people are wondering why the Chrono Trigger update, uh, tribute feels a bit too Chrono Triggerish. I do feel that it's also its own thing with the whole action input mechanic and the fighting and some of the boss fights being a bit more challenging and you can actually use the relics to make the battles either easier or tougher. It's really up to you. And I guess the story itself, especially when you go through like the perfect ending route, actually gets a little bit more different and a bit more wholesome. Lah. So it's definitely 25 hours well spent. Especially if you're into the whole 16-bit style RPGs, but you know, with the touch of 2023 updates and nuances. Okay, fantastic. We're down to the last two games, right? Yeah, I think you know me well enough to know what the last one is. But <laughs> anyway, uh, let's go to number two. It's Baldur's Gate 3. What a fool you are. You cannot kill me. I am eternal. So among all the computer RPGs, as much as I love Cyberpunk 2077 and uh, Expansion, Baldur's Gate 3 is basically what happens if you have a game out in early access, you listen to feedback, and you're still improving the game even after launch. With the new epilogue update for this computer RPG and, you know, the character interactions and the extra stuff coming in here and there, I do feel that Baldur's Gate 3 is the ultimate big-budget Dungeons & Dragons module, the campaign. Like, you've got a really interesting hook of a story, you're captured by squid monsters, you got to figure out what's this parasite in your brain, and you got to try to live as you make your way to the city and you got to save the city as well from an upcoming invasion. You've got like different storylines here and there as you're on your way on the road to get waylaid with different locations like a giant shadow-laden country kingdom. You've got like the overworld, you've got the underdark, you've got like a druid grove. You get to choose whether you want to be the savior of the druids and the tieflings or you want to just murder them all just to help out goblins and uh, drow elf paladin. I think that's what I like about Baldur's Gate 3. You have so many different choices, whether you want to be good or evil or in between. And Larian Studios, from, you know, from Belgium to Malaysia and whatnot, they did a great job in making sure that you can play the character how you want. And even the combat itself is very, very flexible. I mean, yes, you can, you know, use your D&D Dungeons & Dragons knowledge and make, like, great characters, but... The extra bonus actions that you're allowed to do, like pushing characters or jumping or dashing, actually helps a lot in the tactical mode, which makes, you know, playing the game on the hardest difficulty very viable. And yeah, you, the, even the D&D staples are there, like multi-classing and uh, changing jobs or even respecking and everything. And again, the Baldur's Gate city and all that, when you reach there, it actually everything gets more expanded. Now, don't get me wrong, there are still some bugs. So the game is far from perfect, but... I've spent, I think, uh, close to 100 hours on December just playing through this entire game from start to finish. I'm mm. right now on my third playthrough. Like, Diablo 4, I'm playing, like, you know, characters up to level 100. For Baldur's Gate 3, I'm on my third playthrough trying to get through... I want to see how the, the evil path is. La. Like, what happens if I get people slaughtered or choose different... <laughs> make different decisions from the base on, you know, how different from my first playthrough. It opens up so many possibilities that it warrants so many playthroughs. It's a very replayable game with interesting characters with, you know, great compass, moral compasses. Like some of the character quests, especially Shadowheart and Asterion, they're very heartfelt, to say the least. 
Mm. And you can also choose your ending depending on how you bond with them. Whether you want them to be a bad person or you want them to be a good person. It's really up to you how you want to shape their roles and everything. It's been months since the release of the game. Um, I think earlier we did speak about the complaints about uh, Act 3. Um, have they fixed that? I, well, they. I still come across some bugs in Act 3, but generally there's an epilogue when you finish a game. Some characters' storylines get a bit reworked and there's a way to recruit one of the evil characters in a through a good playthrough. So I like that. Larian Studios are considering player feedback and making improvements. I think the game is right now on this fifth patch. Mm. Five patches. And it's like there's so many good things happening. I mean, the fifth patch also added in like a new difficulty. Um, basically like an Iron Man mode. I forgot what the real name is, but basically you have one save. You cannot save scum, basically. Once you mm. die in that save, once you get a party wipe, that's it. Game over. Start over from the beginning. So it's a good uh. challenge for people who have played the game like five, six times. Oh, okay. And right. it's on my, I'm on my third playthrough and I don't think I'm getting tired of this game yet. Because I want to try out different party comp- compositions and finding out different storylines. Alright, yeah. This game is going gonna, is gonna to be around for a bit, right? I think there's going to be DLC for this game because even though the game wrapped up on a very conclusive note, there are some characters who, I guess, if Larian wanted to, you know, create an expansion, they can just write, meanwhile, this happens in Act 3 and then you got to do this expansion and so forth. So, they... they They've written the game in a way that basically there are future expansions happening. 100% because the world of Faerun and Dungeons & Dragons is never-ending. Okay, fantastic. And last but not least, I mean, I guess it's no longer a surprise, but yeah, here we go, John. Your best game of the year, 2023. Yeah, personally for me, it's Street Fighter VI. Street Fighter VI! (laughs) I think I checked my Steam playthrough of the game. I think it's about like 80, 100 hours. <laughs> and when I had my Steam recap pop up, it's like, oh, this is like the most played game. Like, out of all the games where Rich got like, what, 5, 6%, Street Fighter 6 is like, what, 10%? Out of <laughs> my entire library for 2023. It's because it's like the best 2D fighting game of that generation. The great netcode, a host of varied characters with different playstyles. I love the drive system that they implemented where basically they kept the super meter and the drive meter separate so you can actually pull off supers but at the same time do custom combos and um, do pushbacks and do defensive options and more offensive options using a drive gauge. And a lot of quality of life stuff like, you know, fast rematches and, you know, adding people easier or changing servers and going to the battle hub and getting everything sorted on that one particular hub. Even the goofy RPG mode, a single player mode that not only teaches you how to play Street Fighter 6, but also lets you create your custom character of choice. So you can have your character have an uppercut move and also have a command grab and, you know, a sonic boom as well. So you can create your character how you see fit. Obviously not meant for tournament play, but still fun to use and everything. And yeah, I love the roster in this one. I am actually using my uh, the new character called Manon, a judo ballet fighter. Very, very unique got a metal system that she uses gets more powerful the more grapples she gets in and I do like Lily as well who's basically like a tinier version of an existing Street Fighter 2 character but you know tinier and has more mechanics which makes her more fun to play 
Um, I believe this game has a future, obviously, because uh, Capcom said they're going to release more expansions and tie-ins and collaborations. And the current characters they released, Rashid and Aki, they're good to play. But there are going to be a couple more coming in and, you know, more announcements happening after Capcom Cup 2024. Sorry, 2023. Like, mm. I guess that's going to happen around February, so they might make some big news about what's coming up. So, yeah, Street Fighter VI, uh, no big surprise. My most played and most favorite game of 2023. <laughs> gotta do this. Come on. This will be a good fight. Round one. Fight. Yeah. Um, are there any aspects that you wish can be improved for there? Um, well, based on the current meta, I kind of wish grapplers actually get have a bit more power because according to the tier list from many, many professional players, um, the best characters are basically Ken and Jury and Kami. And um, my grapplers are basically like mid-tier to bottom tier. So I hope in the future you can give some buffs to grapplers so that they can actually be at least have a fighting chance against the better characters like Ken or Luke. I mean, to be fair, Luke is a meant to be a beginner character, so he's supposed to be good. Like, you know, base level good. But for characters like Ken, DJ, Jury, and Kami, I think the game's mechanics are favored towards those characters. But again, this is more like my complaint, like personal complaint lab. But overall the game's a great fighting game which everyone should play and you know continue playing to this day. Mm, okay, fantastic. All right. So, reflecting back on 2023, um do you think that it was like a, a good year for gaming? Well, it is a good year, great year for product, but it's mm. quite a bad year for people working on said product. So, the reason why we talk about these lists is to show appreciation for all the developers who are out there making games, slaving away, working really hard to make the games as great as possible. I can't imagine how toiling and troublesome, you know, heroin it gets, especially when, you know, you're part of a big company and oh, suddenly these big companies are all announcing their layoffs and everything. Um, it's really sad. I mean, yes, I do celebrate the fact that, yes, there are great products out there for gaming, but... For people who are working day and night on these projects, we we totally appreciate you, definitely. And we hope for you all to do have the best time, hopefully in the next few years, because I do feel the industry needs a bit of a shake-up. They need to work on things to keep model employees kept on the projects and all that. You know, like, instead of, like, Ose firing a long-time composer after he's been with a company for so long, you know, it's insane. So I really hope... Work ethics, you know, work structure and, you know, I hope I hope work environments and everything all gets improved over time because it's mm. not in a good state, I can tell you that. Mm, all right, yeah, let's hope for that. Um, in terms of games that we can look forward to this year, um, I think last year, um, at the end of December, I think we did speak about some of the games that um, you are already looking forward to seeing. Um, yes. I mean, mind mentioning some of, some of them? Uh, well? Yes, I can. Um, there's Metaphor, ReFantasio. That's... Um, I think it's fall, end of the year 2024. Mm. I suspect the game will be pushed back, but I hope it turns out alright because when I looked at the trailer for that, especially the transition for the GRPG when you know when you go from real-time battle to turn-based battle, it's stylish to say the least. Um, yeah, that's actually one of my most anticipated titles uh, as well as um, Like a Dragon 8, Infinite Wealth. Uh, other titles... Um, what are the first-person shooters are coming up? Ooh, I need to bring up a list. 
Uh, maybe Wolverine. No, I think Wolverine is coming out the following year. Not so much. Oh, mm. Final Fantasy Seven uh, Rebirth, Rebirth is coming yes. out in February. Looking forward to that. I want to see the continuation of the remake series for Final Fantasy Seven, and I think that's about it. You're tuned in to GG Well Played and it was Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchoporei.com sharing his picks for the best games of 2023. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on bfm.my. Our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find our podcast on Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on X at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been... GG well played. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.